My name's Paddy Gibson. I'm a senior researcher at the Jumbunner Institute at UTS. It is really a privilege to be speaking about Rosalie at this sad time. I'd just like to start by passing on my deep condolences to Rosalie's family and her, and her people and many people that are mourning at the moment. There's ripples from this right across Australia and the world. So well known, so well loved and such an important advocate for Aboriginal people and for all people that are struggling. So this is being very deeply felt everywhere. My involvement with Rosalie started uh, campaigning against the Northern Territory intervention. It was not long after John Howard in 2007 held that fateful press conference, announced that the military would be going into Northern Territory communities, the Racial Discrimination Act would be suspended, people's fundamental rights would be taken away and something akin to the protection system that Aboriginal people lived under for much of the 20th century would be rebuilt in the name of saving the children. You know, this was you know, such a watershed moment in Aboriginal politics and national politics. And there were very strong voices from Central Australia at the front of that debate right from the start, and Rosalie was one of them. I met Rosalie when I travelled to Alice Springs with my partner, Natalie Wosley, who was campaigning a lot uh, at the time against the nuclear waste dump they were trying to put on Aboriginal land in Central Australia. Rosalie was a very strong supporter of that fight. And of the general anti-nuclear struggle, Angela Pamela Uranium Mine was also being discussed at that time. So there was a lot of protest activity going on and Rosie was a constant voice. She'd always be there with such a calm, measured, but blisteringly insightful words about the terrible predicament that Indigenous people found themselves in, but also the real strengths that are in Aboriginal culture. And she's just always so generous in terms of offering that culture to others to allow us all to experience and be part of what she had to, to offer this world. So wonderful to meet Rosalie. She also travelled a lot down here to Sydney. I'm based in Sydney now. I was travelling a lot during the years, those early years of the intervention between Sydney and Alice Springs and Rosalie would very often get on planes and fly down and stand up in front of protest rallies or university lecture theatres or big community forums and speak the truth about what her people were going through. And I will just mention one that I, I think not too many people would know about and that's that they actually tried to expand income management, the basics card system that Aboriginal people are living under in the Northern Territory up there. They tried to expand that to a disadvantaged suburb here in Sydney called Bankstown, which is very multicultural, a lot of Koori people, a lot of Muslim people, people from Arab backgrounds. And people really felt that this was a discrimination being put on them, that Aboriginal people had been subject to the income management basics card system, suspending the Racial Discrimination Act. And now they were coming to Sydney to pick on a migrant and Aboriginal and uh, low socioeconomic suburb. Rosalie travelled out to Bankstown and met with the local people there and stood up outside the Bankstown Centrelink with local leaders demanding that they didn't expand the basics card into this area. She also spoke to a lot of workers in the child protection system who were going to be responsible for putting people on the basics card and addressed those workers and managed to play an important role in convincing them to actually refuse to implement the basics card system. And that's what happened in Bankstown because of the work of strong people like Rosalie bringing the truth about the system in the Northern Territory. There's a whole lot of social service workers and organisations here in Bankstown basically just refused to cooperate with the, with the system and they, and they couldn't get it in in the same way. So 
think that says a lot about Rosalie. You know, even at a time when her own people were suffering so much, you know, she, she made the time and made the effort to travel all the way to the east coast of Australia and stand with another community that was going to face that basics card and played an important role in protecting people from an abuse of their rights too. So just such a wonderful advocate and so generous and so caring. She just had this incredible presence. There was no need for any screaming or shouting. She just very clearly, very articulately put her point across in a way that people just couldn't ignore. And she did that no matter where she was. She did that no matter if she was standing on a platform, you know, speaking into a microphone in front of thousands of people demonstrating on the street or she was in a small church hall explaining to people about the struggles of what was going on in Central Australia or sitting down at the Land Council meeting or the Shire meetings with the people actually on the ground in the communities talking. She could command that respect and really hold that space with grace and communicate those ideas with such clarity and such dignity. You couldn't ignore her. Just such a powerful just presence that could really carry the day. There's a really good documentary, Australian biography from the early 1990s, Rosalie speaking there about her life and speaking in some of her own words. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. Um, she really came into her own. I mean, I think it's one, one point I will make just about the film that she made, which is obviously famous for and a lot of people have discussed, the film Jeddah in the 1950s. People might not be aware. I mean, certainly your Aboriginal listeners will be aware, but a lot of people out there in the community might not be aware of just how heavy the discrimination and the controls were on Aboriginal people in this period, Rosalie actually wasn't allowed to sit in the cinemas with the white people. In the 1950s when she was making cinema, there were still segregated cinemas, an area for blacks and an area for, for whites, and actually had to get special permission to sit with the white people to be able to watch the film that she, in fact, had starred in. So I think that that shows you, you know, just how deep the discrimination was in the world that she was growing up in and that she really spent her life trying to challenge that racism and discrimination. So it was a long time with Anglican nuns in the 1960s where there was certainly social justice work done. It was when she left that particular part of her life, coming into the, the era with the tent embassy in Canberra in 1972, the massive demonstrations for land rights, where there was a big push for Aboriginal self-determination. And that really framed Rosie's working life. So in the 1970s, she was able to actually play quite a senior role in Aboriginal affairs in Victoria to establish an Aboriginal children's home where Aboriginal kids could be looked after who did require that kind of care. This was a bit of a new era where Aboriginal people are taking jobs in the public service and in senior areas of the public service. And you know, this is when she's coming into her own. She comes back from Victoria to the Northern Territory to actually work as an advisor for the CLP government at the time, Paul Everingham and the Country Liberal Party as it was, even stood as a candidate for the Country Liberal Party in some electorates. And if you hear Rosie talking about that time, she talks about it as one where she sort of felt that this political world could provide an avenue for her to speak about the challenges that her people faced, the unemployment, the racism, the continued degradation of culture. But she also talks about it as a time where she actually says in the Australian biography that she felt it was a time of deep betrayal, that she was being used in some way by the country Liberal Party politicians and they didn't follow through on commitments that they'd given to her, that they were actually genuinely interested in her opinion about how to advance her people. And she felt 
she was on the wrong track. And one of the things that really brought it home to her that things needed to change was when she gave advice as her role as an, as an advisor on Aboriginal affairs to the CLP government to say that they should not construct a major dam just outside Alice Springs because of the impacts that that would have on sacred sites. And it was a very, very important area and it wasn't something to be mucked around with making any dam. And the CLP refused to listen to her and said, well, even though you're our advisor, employed as an advisor, we're not going to listen to you and we're going to go ahead with the dam. And she says that's when she moved away from that political arena and really joined that formal government political arena and joined her people in struggle, in the struggle against the dam. And it was a long fight. It was a successful fight. In 1992, there was a historic ruling that the dam would not go ahead and the federal government actually cited heritage laws that had never been used to protect Aboriginal sacred sites previously. So it was a major achievement. And Rosie was an important voice in that fight, along with many other people in Central Australia struggling to defend their sites. That was just one of a number of areas where she became quite an important community voice speaking up, not from within the political system, but on the outside of the political system, standing with people to speak up for the change that needed to happen. It was an advocate for her culture in a way that just touched so many hearts. That's really what the Northern Territory intervention was about, was denigrating Aboriginal culture, blaming Aboriginal culture for the problems that communities face. Very, very racist sort of philosophy and paternalistic approach to dealing with people. And Rosie reacted against that with a very fierce determination, but also with a cultural authority that just, you know, could not be ignored and could just carry such weight right across the country and right across the world. And I think that was just articulated so clearly that moment on Q&A where she says, I am not the problem. I've never left my lands. I've never ceded my sovereignty. I still practice my culture. I still speak my language. And the real determination to ensure that culture, that culture of the land, was given its proper respect and given its proper due, was just such a guiding star through all of the work she did. She worked with many of the very, very depressing and terrible issues that face communities. Her time as the president of Aboriginal Legal Aid in the 1980s, this was a time of profound upheaval. The lobbying for the Deaths in Custody Royal Commission took place at this time. A lot of discussion about the police violence and the incarceration and other things that Aboriginal people are subjected to. Issues Rosalie continued to speak out about all the way through. She was at rallies against deaths in custody with me and Alice Springs 10 years ago. But, you know, right back in the 1980s was, was, was speaking out on these similar issues. So dealing with these critical issues of violence and suffering, but always putting forward that cultural power and that cultural pride as the answer, really, as the thing that can actually give people grounding and allow people to meet the challenges, you know, that the colonial system continues to throw at them and really carried this, um, this cultural authority that is just recognised so widely and one of the reasons why she's so loved over here on the East Coast as well. It was always a point she made as well about the interconnected nature of Aboriginal societies and the way that such a crucial part of being an Aboriginal person was about understanding how you're connected to all of your kin and how you're connected to all of your country and how, you know, maintaining those relationships and ensuring those relationships are healthy and reciprocal is how we are happy, how we look after each other and how the land is looked after as well. She was able to articulate that for a non-Indigenous person such as myself 
in a way that just it, it lifts something from your eyes and you can see something you couldn't see before and just such a guiding star in all their advocacy and it was just such a generous gift for so many people to be able to have a deeper understanding of that of those cultural issues. Rosalie on the one hand she could relate to and had connections with so many people in the capital cities all through organisations, all through the bureaucracy, all through the church. She was sitting alongside people like the former Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser on some of these panels. And, you know, she had moved in that world and was a master of that world and could hold her own with any politician in this country. She had that grounding. She'd had that experience living the city life. She'd had that experience within the education system. But when she spoke, she spoke with her feet firmly planted. Even though she might have been in Sydney, her feet were still firmly planted on her homeland and she had that connection to her people that she'd worked so hard on and continued to build all the way through her life. So she was speaking from a position where she's truly representing that cultural perspective and that grassroots perspective on the ground. The system itself in the 1950s would have loved to take Indigenous people away, put them in the city and have them stay there and forget you know, the, the life that they came from and forget that the people they come from. And that was the assimilation policy that they fought for right around this country. Rosie rejected that. She took the knowledge, she took the resources, she took the insight that she could actually gain through the experiences she'd had in the city, but she never actually left her people. She returned, she returned to country and she could have that experience from both of those sides that could just touch so many people and allow for that clear communication about the issues at hand. You know, one of the really incredible things to witness through working with Rosalie on this fight against the Northern Territory intervention was always the way that she would be bringing her family along with her and that the legacy of, of Rosie, she's going to live on through that legacy and so much of us, you know, owe so much to her for it. And we know Nala, we're really thinking of you, Amelia, we're really thinking of you, all her family. They're going to continue to speak out. Young Amelia Kunoff-Monks, Rosie's granddaughter, she travelled with Rosie, stood on uh, protest platforms alongside Rosie, speaking up about the impact that the basics card and the intervention was having on the younger generation. And I think we can be very confident that there's going to be a strong fight for Aboriginal rights is going to continue long into the future with people like Amelia Kunoff-Monks that have learnt from her grandmother and are continuing to carry that fight forward. So we know that that legacy is going to continue to live on from such a long life of service.